0: And now, here's the episode. Good morning. morning. All right, it's good to see you guys. You guys just look beautiful out there. Hey, while you're standing, let me just read you our text for today. Isaiah chapter 27, verses 2 to 6. On that day, sing about a desirable vineyard. Now, this isn't being written directly to this vineyard church, but... Uh, in scripture, a vineyard is a reference to God's people all throughout scripture. So um, it it is to us. On that day, sing about a desirable vineyard. I am the Lord who watches over it to water it regularly so that no one disturbs it. I watch over it night and day. Verse four, I'm not angry. If only there were thorns and briars for me to battle, I would trample them and burn them to the ground. He's saying, if there's something standing in the way of this vineyard doing well, I, I'm, I've got your back. Or, verse five, or let it take hold of my strength. Let it make peace with me. Make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel, that's his people, that's us, will blossom and bloom and fill the whole world with fruit. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful to be here in your presence with one another. We're grateful for your word and the way you speak to us through it. Help us to hear and receive from you whatever it is that you have for us. Help us to be focused and attuned. We don't want to miss it. And Lord, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this room, even as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Thanks for doing that. Okay, we're in this series called Trellis. This is part two of three. Last week, if you weren't here, was basically a prequel. I didn't even explain what a trellis was, but we're doing that today. And what we're gonna do, we're gonna start with a a little bit of church history here, but don't worry, it's nothing too nerdy, very little. Um, In the first couple hundred years of church history, um, being a Christian meant dealing with the very real possibility of martyrdom or being killed because of your faith in Jesus. Um, So back then to sort of state the obvious, nobody got saved in the first couple centuries of church history because, well, because why not? You know, like no one's doing that. No one's saying, well, let's just, we'll jump in just to go with the flow, just to, because that was not going with the flow, it meant going very much against the flow. Nobody was like, yeah, I'll do the Christian thing, and it'll make grandma happy. Well, grandma was practicing a different faith. You had to upset grandma a lot in order to walk with Jesus. And so anyway, it was very different. And so in that context, essentially, there were no marginal Christians. People were, you know, Christianity's on the fringe of their life. It's really just a hobby or an interest, you know because there were no incentives for that. There was no reason to do that, and there were lots of reasons not to do that. But as Christianity started to go more like mainstream, that dynamic started to shift. And as following Jesus became more and more accepted, and even in some cases, Christianity becomes uh, the preferred religion, then nominal Christianity started to become a thing because the incentives were there. And some people noticed that and they look around and go, okay. And they wouldn't think much of it, but then other people noticed it and thought, oh no, this is, this is a really, really big problem because ours is not a faith of half measures, you know, kind of B and N, but not really. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work at all. Um, uh, for our faith in Jesus and so there others looked around and said this is actually a major issue because what's happening in inevitably is like Christians were becoming hypocrites and not representing Jesus well or they're waving the Jesus flag but they're doing it for other reasons um, than genuine faith they're doing it for social reasons or political reasons or financial reasons or whatever the case may be and so that of course not good and then in reaction to this There was what became a pretty significant movement um, led by people who came to be called the desert, the desert fathers. And the desert fathers were people who they they literally moved to the desert. This is not figurative at all. They literally moved to the desert because they couldn't keep growing spiritually in the city where Jesus, in some cases, had become like a commodity. Or just like this cultural add-on. And they thought, I don't, I don't know how to do Jesus on the margins. I don't know how to grow in this context. And so they just went out into the desert, desperate to find more of Christ. And many others went with them. And over the course of decades, somewhere between ten and 100,000 Christians moved to the desert. Because they were so determined not to be swept up in the mediocrity that was starting to happen around them. And the question that these, the Desert Fathers, the leaders in particular, were wrestling with was this. How will people grow now? Now that the threat of martyrdom has begun to wane, now that there's like social dynamics, sort of the headwinds moving with Christianity, how will people grow now when they could have sideways motives in the process? Um, and what they discovered in trying to answer that question and this was, over, again, over the course of decades, not overnight, was that there were these incredibly vital, life-giving, spiritual practices. And, and these spiritual practices, these are things that Jesus had taught about, that the, the apostles had written about. This is nothing that they invented out in the desert. This is, these are things that were already there. But what they came to realize is that, particularly in the shifting context it's more important than ever that these spiritual practices be built into the lives of Christians so that they can continue to grow and not fade away and become hypocrites. They realize how important this is for every believer. And so they, they sort of developed this idea because they thought, hey, we can't just, how do we package this? Because not everybody's going to move to the desert, um, so how are we going to make this available? And they came up with this idea of what, what now gets called a rule of life, a rule of life, um, which is a really big deal. Even though um, that concept, though, uh, the concept of a rule of life is, and hear me, like central to Christians growing in their faith. There's a good chance, even if you've been following Jesus for as long as you can remember, that you've never even heard that term. And yet it's a central thing. Well, why would that be? Because, I think, at least, I think it's because rule of life is such a horrible sounding term. Like, hey, do you need a rule of life? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good, actually. All full up on rules. I don't need a rule of life. Um, and the problem is, that's it's not at all what it sounds like. Uh, it's super misleading. And because of, it's just kind of, we sort of rejected that terminology. And it's really a bummer because the phrase Rule of life is the result of a mistranslation. Um, that's not what the desert fathers were saying. Um, it got lost in translation over time. And the desert fathers who were mostly speaking in Greek or Latin in both cases, in both language, they didn't use the term for rule of life. They used the word for a trellis. And a trellis, yeah, I know you probably know what a trellis is, but let me explain to you what a trellis is. We actually have a picture of a trellis that we'll show you. Boom. Okay. Um, That's kind of what a trellis looks like, although they look super different one to the other. But a trellis is a structure designed to support grapevines, and it optimizes their growth and their fruit production and their overall health. The thing is, without a trellis, if a grapevine is growing, it just piles up on the ground and the fruit along with it. And as a result, um, it's not able to grow much. And as a result, um, that vine doesn't live very long. And as a result, the fruit will very often be rot and there's like soil-borne diseases that come up as a result of it. Um, But vines that have a trellis, which is a structure that they can grow on, they don't just pile up on the ground. They grow up and out. And they're able to capture the sun and the rain and the needed nutrients are more accessible that way. And they've got room to grow. They have these little quickly growing tendrils that will like reach out and wrap around a piece of wire or a piece of wood and just climb up a trellis and they will then produce way more fruit. Like orders of magnitude, more fruit is produced. Like 30, 60, or even a hundred fold for the church kids who might get the reference to that. And they're protected from disease and rot. And without a trellis, I said, a grapevine won't live very long. With a trellis, a grapevine, kind of like humans, can live many decades, in some cases, even over a hundred years. And you don't have to know anything about making wine to know this. Um, you can't have a vineyard without a trellis. You can't have vineyard without a system of trellis cuz you'll never be able to grow enough fruit and that fruit will not be consistent or healthy etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And the desert fathers knew this. And the desert fathers realized knowing what Jesus said in John chapter 8, I'm the vine, you're the branches, knowing that we're consi- like he calls his people consistently a vineyard and that comparison is made all throughout scripture. That's the reason why our church is called the vineyard. This is a picture of God's family is a vineyard. And they realized that you need a you need trellises in order for a vineyard to grow. And we, as part of God's family, the vine and branches, we need a trellis too. You, if you're a Christ follower, realize it or not, you need a trellis. And what I mean by that and what the Desert Fathers meant by that is a simple structure for spiritual growth that will sustain. I've had more conversations over the course of the last several years. I mean, definitely... Dozens or scores, and maybe even hundreds, I don't know. I've had so many conversations with so many of you, like absolutely sincere, legit people in our church coming to me and saying, Aaron, how how do I grow? Like I'm trying to grow and I keep getting stuck and I keep I can't get past where I'm at. Like, and these are people, you're the people, okay, that have come to me and it's who are like totally on board and you're like, I'm in, I love Jesus. I'm all in, I love Jesus. I wanna move forward, but I keep hitting the same walls. I keep getting stuck. I keep going two steps forward and then two steps back. I keep trying something new. It works for a bit and then it doesn't really sustain. And then I'm back to where I started and I'm discouraged as a result of it. I keep getting stuck. So they're asking, you have asked many times, what exactly am I supposed to do? And this is because sincere people don't want to feel that fire in their belly starting to go out, but it tends to. And when you feel that, you want to do something about it. So people who have asked me this question, it's not because you're bad, it's because you're legit. It's because you're the real deal. It's because you love Jesus so much and you want to grow, but it's not clear how and you keep feeling stuck. And in response to that, lots of conversations over the years, I always give an answer and it's not, the answers aren't wrong. They're, they're good. But my internal response that I got <laughs> is, is mostly I just had to fight off the feeling of being offended. <clears throat> Because in my mind, I'm giving a good sort of answer, I guess. But <clears throat> in my mind, I'm thinking, I, like, I really think this is what I teach about every Sunday. I, just week, like, I, I know I taught about it last week and the week before and the week, but maybe for months, like, I, and I'm doing the best I can. I, and I just feel, okay, I, th- I think I'm saying that. So what's the disconnect? So I, of course, made it about me. <laughs> <clears throat> Instead of hearing like, oh wait, there is a disconnect. There's something that's not quite so, cause I'm saying it's like, oh okay. maybe they don't actually need another pep talk from Aaron. What I think you've been saying is like, hey, I need a I need a structure. Because I appreciate the pep talks, but I still don't know how. How. So that created, you know, I'm thinking about this, some dissatisfaction in me, and I'm thinking, man, I want to I I make this clearer. And then ultimately, this goes back several years, ultimately this is what gave rise to our vision statement. Our vision statement, as you know, or as you better know, good grief, I'm just kidding, uh, as I hope you know, <clears throat> is to walk with Jesus, love your neighbor. Of course, we talk about it constantly around here. I love our vision statement, and it really came out of, to some extent, through conversations like, okay, instead of just saying here's things to do, like let's start to build this idea that what we're talking about is not bouncing from one spiritual mountaintop to the other, but a left foot, right foot, day by day, hour by hour walk with Jesus. And inevitably as we walk with Jesus, we're going to love our neighbor. I hope you have noticed that just about every sermon for the last few years now has been about walking with Jesus and or the inevitable overflow of walking with Jesus, which is loving our neighbor. Our vision statement is intentionally, you probably already noticed this too, but it's intentionally two-pronged. So we have walk with Jesus, and walk with Jesus is the vertical connection to God. So that's how we connect to God. We walk with him. That's us connecting to him. And then love your neighbor. We stay back on the walk with Jesus. Nope, back the other way. Here we go, one more. Back, Here we go. <clears throat> um, love your neighbor is the horizontal connection. So walk with Jesus, that connects us vertically. Love your neighbor is how we stay connected to one another. All right. Walk with Jesus, love your neighbor. I love our vision statement so much. It says so much. And there's so much in those six words. But in reality, as much as I love it, in the end, it still only states the goal. It doesn't explain how we get there. And so still there's some left going, okay, great. I'm in. Walk with Jesus. Love your neighbor. Yes. Again, how? <laughs> so I think, I think we need a trellis. I think we need a trellis as how. So here's what I've done. I've identified eight fundamental spiritual practices. And when I say I've identified, I want to be very clear. I've just I've just, I've just seen what has happened in Scripture and what has happened throughout church history. I didn't come up with any of these. These are all very, very old. There's nothing new. I'm convinced I've never had an original idea in my life. There's nothing new under the sun. And none of this is new. This is all really old, like thousands of years old, okay? But these same eight spiritual practices have emerged again and again and again throughout church history among people who are serious about following Jesus and not just following a trend. And, and they happen to map over our vision statement. And this is not, not a coincidence. So um, let's talk about how that works. Remember I said two prong, the vertical and the horizontal. Let's go to that next slide. Now, there we go. So we have Four of these eight spiritual practices are essentially walk with Jesus spiritual practices or they're vertical spiritual practices. They're things that keep you connected to the king. They are Sabbath keeping. They're prayer and solitude, various kinds of prayer. Scripture, which is study of God's word. um, And fasting. And and these deliberate spiritual formation practices keep us connected. Keep that vertical connection strong. Keep us walking with Jesus. So four of them are essentially vertical. And four of them, next slide, are essentially horizontal. Which is the love your neighbor practices. The things that connect you with others. The first being empowerment. That's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which comes from the Lord. And it is the means by which we serve others. Hospitality. Generosity vocation, which is how the work of our hands connects to our ministry in life. And so we have four that are primarily vertical and four that are primarily horizontal. And so what I want you to see, and I just want you to know, before I say this, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. I know you already get it is this is just very important that that I know that you see this, which is like, like it, it makes a trellis. Right? You saw it, right? So there's this way and that way, and that's a trellis. I just need, because I'm insecure, will you just give me a really aggressive nod? Just, okay, that's great. Wonderful. Huzzah. Okay. All right, so that's super important. Those are eight. Now, um, missing from that list is a ninth core spiritual practice that I've kind of, in my mind, gotten a little bit of a different category because the ninth which is community, uh, actually has to be central to the other eight. So all spiritual practices, whether we pursue them individually or in a group, all spiritual practices must be saturated in community. So community is not really one of the practices so much as it is a vital element of all the practices. We do them in community. So more about that in a bit. But before we move on, to be clear, this, this list of things, just a list, is not a trellis, okay? That doesn't make a trellis. It's just a list of good things that you probably already knew were good things. So that's not a trellis. However, that list is the materials with which you can build your own trellis. That's the building material, The list isn't a trellis any more than a stack of lumber is a house. But if you take those spiritual practices as the raw materials and you deliberately build them into your life, not not flippantly, but as a result instead of prayerful, intentional, self-aware design, you build these practices into your life that creates a trellis. And on that trellis, you can grow and bear lots and lots of fruit that sustains for the rest of your life. Fruit 30, 60, even 100 fold. Now, very important here. These last uh, few weeks, we've been talking a bit about trellis communities. I haven't really explained them until today. Um, If you join a trellis community, which is like a kind of small group, just a different type of small group, Little different, not majorly. If you join a trellis community, either now or in the future, um, that trellis community—what's that? What that's about? The goal of that tr- community is to help you build your trellis, which will be unique to you, out of those materials. That's what a trellis community is like. Let's get together and collectively build with these raw materials, a trellis into the very fabric of our lives. So here's what that looks like about these, with these trellis communities, okay? Um, trellis communities meet weekly just like small groups do, and it goes right along with our current semester model. So right now um, we have two semesters a year. We've done this for a number of years um, for our small groups, all of them, which means we meet for four months, take a couple months off, meet for four months, take a couple months off. And we're, these will interface right along with that. So what that means is these groups will meet eight months a year. Remember, there are eight spiritual practices. And each month, um, those trellis communities will be focused on growing in one of the eight spiritual practices that we have laid out. Um, The idea, of course, that, you know, within the course of a year, you cover them all. Um, Now, at the beginning of each of those months, I will be teaching here on Sunday mornings, on that month's spiritual practice. And then we are actually provide some other resources for that too. We'll get to that in a second. Again, the idea being that over the course of a year, we will learn about and begin to implement each of these spiritual practices one by one. You can start to build them into their life, into your life. For example, uh, next week, I'm going to be right here teaching on Sabbath. It's the first spiritual practice we're going to focus on. Um, And then also next week on the podcast, there's going to be an additional teaching, a more in-depth teaching that covers a lot more, as well as a a PDF that you can download as a resource as well. So that's the teaching piece. Hopefully we'll begin to get our heads around what it means to keep a biblical Sabbath. And then our trellis communities all through the month of February will meet each week to consider together what biblical Sabbath keeping, a day of delight and rest, might look like for each person. And it'll look different for different people. And then what we're going to do is we're going to encourage each other. We're going to dream together. It's not your Trellis community leaders going to tell you exactly what to do. Instead, we're going to have sort of this imaginative conversation that goes in my context and where I'm at in life with Jesus. Here's what this looks like for me as we move toward a healthy um, Sabbath practice. I've already hinted at this, but I want to make sure you hear. It. So I'm going to say it again. This is not, hear me, this is not Pastor Aaron coming down from the mountain tablets in hand, giving you a precise blueprint for a trellis. It's not that. It's not that. The fact is, I, I, truth this, you should probably take a minute this afternoon, maybe not right now, um, and open up, go on your phones or a device and do a Google image search for a trellis. And what you'll find out is they are incredible, like the vast variety of trellises out there that actually work. It's unbelievable. Some of them are absolutely gorgeous. They are like high art Some of them are just chicken wire, you know, and kind of everything in between. The point is this, you know, when you're a different trellis in different circumstances and different realities, we're all building with the same materials, the tried and true things, the things that Jesus and the apostles taught, the things that have worked for 2000 years. That's the commonality, the building material. But your trellis will look different than the person next to you. All right. Because, well, for example, the first week is uh, the first month we're looking at Sabbath. OK, I keep a Sabbath on a Friday because I'm, I'm on the clock right now, guys. This is work for me. <laughs> okay, Now, um, I keep a Sabbath on a Friday for most people's like, well, that's not going to work. You know, maybe somebody in your child's community has been working, have been walking with Jesus for 40 years and have this rich practice of Sabbath in your life. And you might be like, I've never even thought of that. I'm getting itchy just thinking about turning off my phone for an hour. So you're going to be in a different place. And so your trellis is going to come together a little bit differently, but we're going to build with these materials. And then from there, again, not one size fits all. Okay. So thing is, uh, if, most of our trellis communities, we have a few of them that um, have been opened to fill the last few weeks. Most of our trellis communities are already filled. They've already filled up. Um, So, because if you're like, hey man, I'm on board, let's go. It's like, well, we'll see. Um, Most of them are full. (laughs) But if that's the case and you're on board, I've got three options if you want to participate and I hope you do. Okay. Uh, Number one, Uh, This might not still be true after the first service, but you can try to jump in quick and see if you can get in one of the few remaining spots in a trellis community. Okay, You can do that. Good luck. Uh, Number two, don't tune me out. Uh, Maybe you can be part of the solution here and help us facilitate some new trellis communities. That's what we really need. Um, And and before you completely shut that out, let me just say a couple things about that, about leading a trellis community. Um, To be clear, this is not the type of group where the leader gets up and teaches on a thing, okay? I, I think I've been pretty clear about that. I'm actually doing the teaching and we're gonna give you additional resources to go with that. So it's not about teaching, it's about just gathering people together, being hospitable, and then encouraging a conversation, helping that community happen. And then having a discussion about it, what it looks like to build these into our lives. Um, next thing, if you want to lead a Trellis community, you do not have to be ahead on this stuff. Like, oh, yeah, I've already got these things down. OK. And so, yeah, the laugh is the right response. <laughs> Done. OK, nope. That's not what we're looking for. We're actually not looking for you, actually. Um, so what that means is you will have to be ahead. Um, our, our trellis community leaders are going to be building a trellis right along with the folks in their group. OK, so we do, of course, we have some requirements for leaders of groups in our church, of course. So it might not happen right away. It might not work out immediately. But that might there's training, of course. But if you're interested in helping us make these groups happen, then you need to talk to Natasha like. Like now, like, let me finish. But then like right after that, you need to talk to Natasha. Who's Natasha? I'm glad you asked. She's right there waving at you. Everybody say, hello, Natasha. <laughs> Everybody say, we'll talk to you in a minute. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and she, she knows all the stuff. There's a bunch of stuff I don't know. But um, she knows all the stuff and she can help you get rolling. Okay, if that, and maybe you take that and then we've got some more open spots available in groups. Um, and here's a third piece of that. And just keep in mind, You don't have to be in a trellis community to do this stuff. Some of you have been doing all of these things for a long time, and you're like, Well, Aaron, I've been doing, and you just started it, so how does that work? Okay, the door's open for everybody. You don't have to be in a community. I think it's helpful. I think it's going to be really helpful and beautiful to do that in community. It's not required. You can go ahead, and get started on your own. Maybe grab a friend or two. That's great. You can get started with these practices. Again, I'm going to teach on at the beginning of each month. I'll teach on that spiritual practice. We'll provide resources for each one. You can do it. And then next semester, you can jump into a group. Uh, but either way, you can start now. And then next year, the idea is that we'll run it back and do it again. We'll work back through these same spiritual practices. All right. Because like I've already hinted, none of us will ever arrive in any of these practices All right, if you're thinking hospitality, done. Okay, no, it's an ongoing. They're all an ongoing thing, okay? And we can grow in these things for the rest of our lives. In fact, if you asked me, if you said, Aaron, how do you intend to grow spiritually for the rest of your life? My answer is, and I've thought about this a lot, this would be my answer. It is to grow in these eight spiritual practices a little more each year for the rest of my life And to do so in deep community. That's my plan. So we're going to build slowly. It will hugely backfire if you try to launch out into all of these things all at once. I don't remember who I'm quoting. I've heard this versions of this quote so many times. I don't even know who to credit for it. But you may have heard it as well. If the enemy can't get you to ignore your weaknesses, then he'll just try to get you to address all of them at the same time. Same, same outcome as doing nothing, right? Because, and it's January 28th. New Year's resolutions are a wonderful explanation of this. It's January 28th. Virtually all New Year's resolutions have already crashed and burned, and you have given up on them entirely. Why have they failed? Here's why. Because most people come up with some grand plan to become an awesome person overnight, and it's too much all at once, and it backfires. So here's what I'm saying kindly. Let's be more strategic than that. All right, let's go one step at a time and let's build into our lives a trellis that will last, that will facilitate growth and fruit for decades moving forward. Okay, one more idea here. I mean, that's the spiel, right? But one more idea here, because if I don't address this part, none of the other stuff will even matter because you won't do it. Okay. All frustration is born out of unmet expectation, right? So let me just, all cards on the table, be as clear as I possibly can. It will take significant time for you to build a trellis. It'll take time. We have to value highly our own spiritual formation. Okay? Here's this week's John Mark Comer quote. Got Dallas Willard coming up in a minute. So we got all the bases covered. I'm not contractually obligated or anything like that. It just keeps coming up this way. So here we go. I like what these guys say. For those of us who desire to follow Jesus, here is the reality we must turn and face. If we're not being intentionally formed by Jesus himself, then it's highly likely we are being unintentionally formed by someone or something else. You might go, oh, cool, I'll do spiritual formation. No, no, you've been doing spiritual form. You've been spiritually formed your entire life. The question is, who or what is doing the forming and the shaping? We're all becoming something. And if we don't place a high value on being formed by Jesus, then we'll just be formed by something else or more accurately deformed by something else. Here's the Willard quote. There is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. I read that and thought, that's an overstatement. That is hyperbole. And then I thought about it some more and I thought, nope, Willard's right again. I think that's actually true. I think it's actually true. Guys, I know, here, trust me, I know it's hard to make time to pursue spiritual practices. But I want to encourage you to try something. Really, give it a shot. See if you can honestly convince yourself that the other uses of time are more important. So this, is, this isn't about me trying to change your values. right? The vast majority, these are, these are your values. You, you know, okay? So what this is about is you living in congruence with what you already know to be the most valuable. And we're all busy. We're all busy. And time is a zero-sum game, which means if you use some of it building a trellis over here, then you will have less time for other things. That's inescapable. But again, I'm not trying to convince you that it's worth it. What I'm actually doing is daring you to build a case in your own mind that it isn't worth it. Because if you're honest, I don't think you can. Again, let's let's live in congruence with the values we already have. Seriously, like don't make time for this if it's not that important to you, okay? But if it is that important to you, then don't make excuses. Make time for it. I read this quote recently, pretty insightful. Mike Mason said this, a 30-year-old person is like a densely populated city. If you want to build something new, you have to tear something down. So if you're on board and you kind of take this mental ascent with me here this morning and you decide that it is worth the cost of time and effort for you to build a trellis, and then you do not, in turn, decide intentionally what you're going to take away in order to make room for it, then you will almost certainly fail. Because your life, very likely, is a densely populated city. You're going to have to tear something down to make room for something new. So, don't be naive. If this is a priority, don't expect the time to just be there. You'll, you'll have to make the room. And I don't, I don't want to convince you that it's worth it. I'm daring you to convince yourself that it's not. Because <laughs> I know it's your heart. Okay, that's my spiel. Um, let's close by looking back at the verses we opened up with. Uh, let me invite you to stand as you're able. The band's going to come up as well. We're going to close by singing. I just want to say a thing or two about these verses on that day verse 2 on that day sing about a desirable vineyard i am the lord who watches over it to water it regularly so that no one disturbs it i watch over it night and day this is the lord saying if you want to grow a healthy vineyard if you want to have a trellis that will bear lots of fruit this is the lord saying i'm on board i'm with you like i i am on your side all right i've conquered all things all power and authority are mine, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I, I am with you on it. Okay? And he, and he says, so that no one disturbs it. I watch over it night and day. So a vineyard needs to be protected. Let me just tell you something, be very clear. Just, I could do a whole sermon about this, but I won't. But very clear. If you start valuing spiritual, spiritual practices and build a trellis into your life, that's a five alarm fire for the kingdom of darkness. And the enemy will stop at nothing to put it to an end, all right? Because that's the, that's the last thing our enemy wants to happen, is for you to really learn how to walk with Jesus and love your neighbor. And so what that means is there will be pushback. And the Lord's saying, all right, you're not alone. You're not alone. Verse four, I'm not angry. If only there were thorns and briars for me to battle, I will trample them and burn them to the ground. And saying, I, I will fight for you in this. You are not alone. If there are thorns and bristles, let's go, let's get it together. And I got your back. Or this is interesting, verse five. Or let it take hold of my strength. Let it make peace with me, make peace with me. So in in, in for our discussion here, like, If you look at your life and you're like, man, I'd love to build a trellis. I get it. But man, my career, I just don't see how that's possible. And the Lord would go, hey, look, if you want to tear out the thorns and bristles, let's go. I got your back. But hey, maybe your career doesn't have to be an obstacle that stands in the way of a healthy vineyard. Maybe. I can make peace with it. Maybe your calendar isn't your enemy in this. Maybe we can wrestle that into submission, make peace with your calendar. And the things, many of the things that are filling your life now can be a part of your spiritual formation moving forward. Lots of people go, oh man, I would. It's just I'm married with kids. And uh, well, your kids aren't thorns and bristles. And I'm telling you, You want to be discipled? Get married and have kids. All right. So, Lord's going. Hey, they don't have to be an enemy. Let's make peace with the things that oppose us having the time, and let's realign our priorities in such a way we can make peace with many of these things. So, make peace, and then the great, great promise, and then we'll and then we'll sing. (laughs) Verse six: In the days to come, Jacob. Of course, Jacob becomes Israel. Israel's us. Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and bloom and fill the whole world with fruit. Lord, let it be. Amen. Amen.